Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is, of course, the 16th day of October, and the year is, yes, 2021. Um, we were talking just the last two episodes on various components of the acquired immune system. Specifically, we're talking about T lymphocytes and also a little bit about B lymphocytes and plasma cells, a little bit about their differentiation and regulation as it related to the production and then acquisition of binding via receptor-mediated response to cytokines. So most of these cytokines have different roles in the system, that is the immune system, sometimes pro-inflammatory, but I want you to recognize that sometimes cytokines function as growth factors or growth stimulants, that's one. And number two, cytokines can also, when they bind to the receptors on the surface of T lymphocytes as they're differentiating, they can act as regulatory components, kind of like um, you might consider them an aspect of paracrine hormone stimulation in that once they bind to their cognate receptors or associated receptors in the plasma membrane of naive T lymphocytes, they then induce a transcriptional pattern that results in the final differentiation of those T cells to, let's say, a Th1 to 17 lineage versus T regulatory. And that involves, of course, the expression first of transcription factors that lead to those differentiations. Last time, we're also talking about innate-like lymphocytic cells, the ILCs one through three. We also talked a little bit about natural killer cells. And recall that all of those components also go through a similar repertoire, but the innate-like T lymphocytes do not have the T cell receptor, the recombinatorial T cell receptor. They work under a different method altogether in terms of differentiation. And that's, that means that they are limited in their uh, ability to surveil and recognize and then specifically target cells that are uh, compromised by specific infectious agents. So killer cells tend to work on a more broad category against host cells that are otherwise damaged in some way or stressed in some way. This can include intracellular pathogens like bacteria, uh, parasitic organisms can live within cells, and also, of course, viruses. But beyond that, just any cell that is recognized as going through a stress response in association sometimes and sometimes not with the complete repertoire of the innate immune response, such as with macrophages, dendritic cells, eosinophils, if it happens to be an allergic response, uh, that these killer cells, these killer-type lineages, innate like lymphocytes will go to work to destroy those cells, either um, immediately generate apoptosis or sometimes deal with the production of perforin and granzymes and other components which will deliver the molecular package to kill the cell. And sometimes those cells are uh, self-contained like an apoptotic cell, but sometimes they can become necrotic or ferritotic uh, or senescent, depending. Now, that's a little bit further down the road than what we're talking about last two lectures, but I just wanted to fill you in. So, okay, so that's what we're talking about. Let's get back to this discussion of the elderly.
okay? Because <clears throat> this is how I'm finishing these lectures. You recollect. Now, here's the fundamental thing to consider. You have an impaired immunological responsiveness in the elderly. That's the first thing to keep in mind. That means that the immunological competence of any individual is going to be determined by the presence of, first of all, mature lymphocytes, and those will have been formed in the primary lymphoid organs. You're also going to have secondary lymphoid tissues, and those are going to include organs like the liver, the lung, and indeed the GI tract, particularly the small intestine. So what you have in the elderly and as you're aging in general is an immunological equilibrium, and that's going to require a steady lymphocytic output and then a very controlled expansion of specific types of lymphocytes. <clears throat> so you have thymic and you have lymph node stromal microenvironments to consider. And they're going to represent key elements in the development of what we generally call the adaptive immune system. Consequently to that now, the impairment of a lymphoid microenvironment, like a lymph node, is going to ultimately lead to an insufficient primary and secondary immune response. It can also generally cause just a decline of thymic selection, and that manifests in the immune senescence response, which is accompanied again very often by late onset, in terms of aging, autoimmune disorders. And we see this often in the elderly when we go looking for it, but often also it occurs occult because there are other conditions in the elderly that are being treated by their medical staff. And these could include cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, obesity associated with that, type 2 diabetes, of course, very common. As people age, they get sometimes more obese if they've already been obese in the middle ages. So there's a whole range of metabolic disorders that first are treated. And then you have solid organ issues, liver diseases, pancreatic disease, kidney disease. Uh, and then as you get much older, and sometimes uh, this can occur prodromally, you start to get neurodegeneration, peripheral neurodegeneration, muscular senescence, we call sarcopenia, and then also, of course, central nervous system neurodegeneration. This is, these lead to some of the major um, neuropsychiatric disorders like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and prefrontal dementia, Lewy body organized type neurodegeneration uh, as, a, as a subgroup of those. Now, <clears throat> keep that all in mind, all right? So you have self-tolerant cytotoxic and, of course, all the helper T lymphocytes. And those are going to be really critical regulatory cells that are involved in the adaptive immune response, right? And they're going to develop in those very specialized epithelial networks of the thymus that we've talked a lot about the last four or five lectures. Now, the thymus, however, becomes involuted which functionally means it's gradually losing its capacity to support lymphopoiesis. Now that again is called an involution process. And it's going to, the, the output of that will mean you get a functional decline in de novo T cell production. Now compared to younger counterparts, the aged follicular dendritic cell 
starts to express significantly less C21 ligand and another protein called FC gamma R2. Now, as a consequence of this, the aged follicular dendritic cells, I'm just going to call them FDCs now, are going to lose their ability to trap immune complexes. And then that means they won't be able to present antigen to B cells. This in turn leads to an impaired germinal center reaction and antibody production. And then a quantitative change of the peripheral lymphoid tissue ensues as you age. And that quantitative change means that you have less um, ability to respond to new antigen presentation, both because of the innate immune cell aging and, of course, this process of germinal center degradation. And that means antibody production starts to become limiting. Okay. This is observed, I should tell you also, in the uh, adipose. And that adipose also helps, adipose as an organ now, helps dysregulate this immune response. That's because you have lymphoid type cell tissue mass within the adipose, particularly in the visceral fat. So this means you're having an interaction of the adipose tissue with lymphoid tissue and that that interaction itself goes through a senescent process, which includes, among other things, the oxygenation of fatty acids and the oxidation of polyunsaturated fatty acids, both of which can lead to the production of reactive oxygen. And the oxygenation pathway can lead, of course, to eicosanoid biosynthesis, which can be pro-inflammatory, okay, thus triggering a lymphoidal response because of the production of eicosanoids, which I just said can be pro-inflammatory. You understand that? And this is going to be coherent because you're going to have adipose tissue associated with those lymphoid organs. So go back to think about T-cell progenitors. T-cell progenitors migrate to the thymus actually from the bone marrow. They do originally come from the bone marrow, of course. That's where uh, all of this original biosynthesis occurs, right? Hematopoiesis occurs in the bone marrow. And they're going to undergo in the thymus, of course, an extensive differentiation selection we've been talking about. Let's review it quickly. So you have thymocytes, and they represent various different stages of development. And they're going to occupy specific distinct regions of the thymus. So you have CD4 negative, CD8 negative, CD44 positive, CD25 minus, yes, that's four different genes, thymocyte progenitors. And they're referred to as double negative. They're double negative because there's no CD4 or CD8 expression. So it's going to be called DN1 cells, double negative one cells, okay? And they're found near the site of entry of the corticomedullary junction in the thymus. Now, the slightly more mature <coughs> CD4 minus, CD8 minus, however, CD44 plus, CD25 plus, that's the new addition of gene expression, those are going to be called DN2s, double negative two type subclass. 
and they're found throughout the cortex of the thymus. And then you have CD4, CD8, CD44 negative, and yet CD25 positive. Those are going to be called DN3s, double negative type 3 subclass. And they're going to be concentrated below the capsule of the thymus. Now, why am I giving you all this detail of this thymus anatomy? Consider the fact that when you get thymic involution, that means the thymus starts to fall onto itself. And when it does so, it limits its function. Okay. It's it, the thymus itself is degenerating as you age. So think about what can happen with post recombination of antigen receptor that is TCR type genes in the double positive thymocytes. Now, remember those undergo positive and this is called functional TCR, and negative, that's non-self-reactive TCR, 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 of course, it's cell receptor, selection. And it's going to be going down in the cortex and the medulla of the thymus. And finally, they're going to leave the thymus for the periphery. And remember how they leave, they can leave a CD4 minus, CD8 positive. Those are going to be cytotoxic T cells. Or they're going to be leaving a CD4 positive, CD8 minus, those are going to be your T helper lineages. And those are also known as single positive. And you're going to have then the mature, naive tell, T cell uh, repertoire. Right? Yes. I'll answer my own question there. So T cell development requires an interaction of thymocytes with the thymic stroma for that T cell differentiation and selection. So let's get into a little bit more detail. Haven't I gone through enough detail so far? Uh, apparently not. <laughs> the transcription factor FOXN1 expression occurs in early stages of thymic organogenesis, and it's going to be regulated by a secreted WENT4 signaling pathway, where the mature thymic epithelium is, of course, going to start, is going to, is going to develop into the cortex and the medulla. And that's apart from producing chemokines, also after this transcription factor and when four signaling is turned on, chemokines, they're going to attract those hematopoietic stem cells that are going to come into the thymus. Those are going to become the bone marrow, remember? And that's all going to contribute to establishing, okay, even those hematopoietic stem cells, before they're going to differentiate and say T cells or B cells, that's going to establish a specific thymic microenvironment. So the thymic epithelial network is going to regulate migration and differentiation of the developing T lymphocytes. And that's going to occur because now you start getting cytokine stimulation and production and then secretion. And then autocrine and paracrine valuation of those T lymphocytic lineages. Okay. Get it? So thymocytes bearing a diverse T-cell receptor repertoire are going to be selected, selected now, remember two lectures ago, by the major histocompatibility complex, the MHC uh, uh, pathway. Now those molecules and then the MHC bound antigens presented by the thymic stroma are going to be including the epithelial cell lineages. Okay, of course. Now recall, that during T-cell development, 
the precursors entered the thymus at the cortical medullary junction. I just told you that. And they, and they migrate then to the outer cortex and then onward to the medulla where they finally leave, yes, to the periphery. So the cortex is important in producing those chemokines, which are going to attract. Remember, those are, those, those are glycoproteins which cause cells to move towards a gradient, right? That's what chemokines are doing. They force cells to move in a specific teleological direction, space and time, so that they end up and occurring in the right location for their final differentiation. In this case, we're talking about the thymus. So the cortex is important producing those chemokines, which attract the prothymocytes, and then they orchestrate positive selection while the medullary epithelium has been implicated in driving the final stages of the thymocyte maturation. And that's going to then give you that negative selection, which we call tolerance induction. Okay. So the thymic epithelium is also the source of other secreted and cell surface proteins. And all these are going to regulate T-cell development. <laughs> these proteins are going to include the bone morphogenic protein, or the BMP, and also Notch and Wint family members. Okay, now this comes from the series of papers that are classical in the early 2000s from the immuno immunological um, journals. Okay, and I'll give you I'll give you some of those references. I'll give them all to you because there's so many. So cancers of epithelial origin, let's talk about this because it's going to be associated with aging, right? Cancers of epithelial origin are called carcinomas. And they're in fact the most frequent type of malignancy in humans. And their incidence and aggressiveness is going to, yes, unfortunately increase with age. Now that observation, of course, is going to raise an obvious question which will lead to some hypotheses, right? That's a, a hypothetical deductive pathway in reasoning and science, right? So what does that observation raise as a question? It raises the question as to whether the aging process itself, that means cellular signature sequential aging, could contribute directly to tumor incidence and indeed progression. Think again about the cancers of the epithelia, the carcinomas, okay? Now, in that regard, telomere biology, remember telomere telomerase, <clears throat> may well play a pivotal role because the shortening of those telomeres, remember those are the edges of the chromatin, has been associated with cellular senescence, as we've said way at the beginning and throughout these series of lectures, now leading to 11 months of discussion. So they started this in November, of 20, remember, shortening of the telomeres is associated with cellular senescence and, as we've said a, a many times as well, organismal aging. And these are directly correlated, or I should say more associated with cancer incidence and yes, indeed, not just that, mortality. So in the multi-step carcinogenesis model, which is something that's been described, and I've mentioned it, I know, at least once or twice during these last 11 months. Telomere shortening, so you, you'll know what it is because I'm going to explain it right now. Telomere shortening is observed together with an increase in 
very important issue in aging and in carcinogenesis. It's this um, pathology known as chromosome instability. Now that's known as short SIN or C-I-N, not S-I-N, SIN, chromosome instability. And that has been shown to occur in early precancerous state cells. So looking at experimental animal models and cellular cells as well, cellular models, it's been shown that there's a transient period of telomere instability followed by a reactivation of a telomerase. And in fact, what that does, wait for it, that contributes to the acquisition of a metastatic oncogenic phenotype. Why? Because you kick back up the telomerase. Because of that, you start adding back to the telomere in cells that have already started to age and mutate and pick up other mutations, thus should no longer be continued for subsequent cell division, right? And so you get telomere instability, but rather than getting the cell going into full senescence, you get a reactivation of telomerase. And again, that contributes to the acquisition of the metastatic oncogenic phenotype. Got that? Now let's talk about SASP again. That is the senescence-associated secretory pathway. Recall, telomere-driven chromosome instability, that's known as T-SYN, in human epithelial kidney cells, this is a cell study, these are called HEC cells, right? Human epithelial kidney cells, what HEK stands for, will induce, that telomere-driven chromosome instability will induce a global this is going to be an epigenetic phenomenon, microRNA dysregulation. And that too is associated with the acquisition of phenotypes, suggesting a metastatic capability. Okay, it doesn't mean you're going to go there. It means you are capable of now becoming metastatic, right? So on the other hand, senescent cells display this so-called SAS, which is the senescence-associated secretory phenotype. And what that comprises is the secretion, because it's a secretory phenotype, right, of a large variety of cytokines, yeah, growth factors, yeah, and enzymes, like metalloproteinases, for example, that are expected to alter, yeah, the surrounding microenvironment, and they're all functioning in paracrine, okay? So now I'm starting to put together cancer biology, cancer biochemistry with aging biochemistry. And I'm linking them again, once again, very importantly with the immune system, okay? So let's talk about epithelial to mesenchymal transitions, shall we? We shall. So EMT, epithelial to mesenchymal transition, is becoming, actually isn't becoming anymore, it's well-established as a mechanism that links aging of cells known as senescence, so linking senescence to cancer in humans. So it was shown first in animal models that senescent fibroblasts can promote tumor progression and tumorigenesis just looking at cells isolated from animals, so pre-malignant cells, okay? 
So senescing fibroblasts from aging animals can promote tumor progression and tumor genesis by pre-malignant cells. So that means that SASP may also impact the differentiation status, because SASP is associated with senescent fibroblasts. SASP can impact the differentiation status of tumor cells. And then it, what, what has been observed is that they induce an epithelial to mesenchymal transition. Consider this like a rejuvenation process, because right? mesenchymal cells can now as a de-differentiation back to mesenchymal cell lineages. And now that most mesenchyma, mesenchymal cell lineages can now go directly into um, multiple different types of uh, cellular lineages. One, one of the most prominent is going to be uh, the oncogenic variety. Now, on the other hand, cancer-associated fibroblasts, again, the senescent fibroblasts, they directly promote tumorigenesis of those pre-malignant cells. So you've got SASP-type cells going to the uh, inducing the tumor, the, going getting the epithelial mesenchymal transition, okay? And that's how they impact differentiation status of tumor cells. Then you have this whole other process, which is basically just cancer-associated fibroblasts, which are senescent, promoting tumorigenesis of pre-malignant cells. So you have two processes going on. So you've got an epithelium mesenchymal transition, EMT. Now, let me remind you what that is. It's a biological, biochemical process that allows a polarized epithelial cell, which would normally interact with a basement membrane via the basal surface, surface and it's going to undergo multiple biochemical changes that would normally enable it to assume a mesenchymal cell phenotype. That's going to include, what is a mesenchymal cell phenotype? Enhanced migratory capacity. What does that sound like? Invasiveness, elevated resistance to apoptosis, and greatly increased production of extracellular matrix components. All of that it sounds exactly like metastatic cancer, right? That's exactly what we're talking about here. Same cellular lineage response. So you see why people are very interested in this, why researchers are very interested in this. So the completion of an EMT, that is a mesenchymal transition, is signaled by the degradation of an underlying, of the underlying basement membrane that is involved in the process of those cells, differentiating now, right, transitioning now, and also the formation of a mesenchymal cell, which ultimately is the product and that will allow that mesenchymal cell, because you degraded the underlying best basement membrane, now that cell can migrate away from the epithelia where it was originally coming from. So you get distinct molecular processes that are all engaged in order to initiate this EMT. And that includes, of course, the activation, that means expression and then utilization of transcription factors. That means chromatin remodeling as well is going to occur because you're going to get, finally, the expression of specific cell surface proteins. You're going to get a reorganization and a re-expression of the cytoskeletal system because new proteins are going to be generated, glycoproteins in the extracellular matrix. And you're going to get a production also at the same time of extracellular matrix degrading enzymes, which will then also involve changes in the expression and secretion and packaging of specific microRNAs 
doing now epigenetic reprogramming of all the different transcriptional lineages that are being generated during that EMT, during the epithelium single transition, right? So this is an amazing series of biochemical pathologies starting all to move together to generate a senescing process, which includes, you know, telomere shortening and changes in gene expression, slowing down of cellular division, because you're getting to those final stages in the hayflick limit for cell division, right? But at the same time, it's picking up multiple mutations and then altering the epigenomic environment because of the microRNA changes. And then at the same time, those cells are transitioning from epithelia to mesenchyma and they're blowing off their basement membrane, they're burning it down, and now they're, they're, now they're free. They've become essentially planktonic, right? which means, of course, that they can now generate new satellite regions where they start growing of potential pre-malignant cell lineages. And this is all occurring at higher levels, increasing as you age. Okay. So I'm going to stop there. I think we've done enough of this. We've talked about this before, I'll remind you. But I've given it a new flavor now because I'm adding in a little bit of epigenetics. I didn't do too much today because I didn't want to overburden you. But a little bit about epigenetics, just talk about microRNA. I'm going to give you some specificity real soon here. We talked about chromatin instability before, and I brought it up again. A telomerase and telomere interactions generating cells that could be potentially oncogenic. And then also it's about T cell transformations and the involution of the thymus, which is going to come right back into play. So this is Dr. Dan Guerra on, again, the 16th of October, 2021, saying uh, bye for now.